Welcome to She's a 10 times 5. You got it. That's the big 5-0. Listen along as we try to figure out our what's next as we venture into this new age of reinvention. Through relatable topics, real-life stories, and inspiring guests, join us on our journey of growth and laughter. Hey, I'm Lori, former Army Airborne Captain, but don't let that fool you. I'm the loose cannon. And I'm Lisa, a girl's girl who loves sugar, but watch out for that spice. Let's do this. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to She's a 10 Times 5. I am Lisa, and I'm here with my co-host, Lori. Hey, Lori. Hi, Lisa. In case we forgot your name. Or... In case we forgot your name. I don't know. It's so funny. You know, it's really one of those things where you go into autopilot when you open up and then you listen to other podcasts and you listen to how they open up and you're like, oh, I should say that. And then I try it and it never comes out right. So I'm like, I'm just going to stick with my normal little rote intro <laughs> that I do every time. But it's just me. Yeah. 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 And here we are at Studio 50. Yes. In here the we midst are. of holiday mayhem. Oh, my God. So much shopping online. This is when the stress starts to kick in when I'm afraid like all the stuff I didn't that I ordered isn't going to show up. And then I've got to go out into the mall or to the real world. I don't like that part. Well, you know me. I've said it 90,000 times till Sunday. I, you know, have that shopper's anxiety where I I just anything I can do to order online is. I know. It's just the second half. Will it arrive? Yeah. Never, you know, it does most of the time, but there's always one or two items that you're like, oh, real quickly scrambling for. Yeah. So, and there's always the ones from for my husband. <laughs> oh no! So then you gotta you gotta you know go to Patrick James or somewhere to get a nice shirt and you know yeah stuff it under the tree. Yes. Yeah. Are your kiddos home? Kiddos. Kiddos home and, well, home Thanksgiving and then yes, back to school, back. then, mm-hmm. you know, back for, for the Christmas holiday and New Year's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what a different dynamic. Yes, it is. that Well, when they're, when they're home for Thanksgiving, they're on such a mission to just see everybody, all their friends. I've got a week. I've got to get it all in. And you're, I find that we're last on the totem pole of people they want to see. Yeah. But then Christmas comes and then they're- They have a little more time. More time. They're more relaxed. They want gifts. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> and yes. or money. So mm-hmm. they're, you know, they engage a little bit more and mm-hmm. yeah. But it's a different dynamic. And I'm so thrilled that we have a guest today that's going to talk about how things change when you have older kids. Yes. Young adult kids and all the things that we, we think we know, we don't really know. <laughs> When it comes to managing yeah. stress. I mean, communication is totally Commun- different. Yep. yep. You know, Absolutely. and they want to talk to me as a peer. And sometimes I'm just not ready for that activity. And so yeah. look at them as my little boys. And but then I do enjoy some of the banter. So we're going to talk about all those and, and boundaries and how we become effective parents. And also how to identify when things aren't going so well with your kids. I love that. Because they're less vulnerable and, mm-hmm. and sometimes don't share as much. So. Without further ado, should I interview yes. our superhero? She's in Studio 50 because she is a local San Diegan. I love it. She's wearing a cape and a mask because <laughs> she can fly. Yeah. <laughs> She's amazing. So and in fairness, I found out about this woman, Dr. Kashani, mm-hmm. from I don't even know how many people. So, and then finally I pulled the trigger and said, We're, she's coming on the show. And she was very, very gracious to come in on a busy schedule. Okay. Without further ado, I have to put on my glasses for this because, you know, the age. Donna Kashani, MD, is a board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist who has maintained a thriving private practice. Whoa, say that fast five times. For over 25 years. That's a quarter of a century there, Donna. It's it's a hot second. Yeah. Yeah. She earned her medical... (laughs) She, where's the coffee, Lise? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I'm just falling all over myself. She earned her medical degree at the age of 23 and has dedicated her career to patient care and wellness with an area of focus working with healthy and high-functioning teens and adults. She co-authored a book, Raising Happy Children, with her father, a world-renowned child and adolescent psychiatrist, and comes from a family of, wait for it, six doctors. 60. Wow. So, 60. 
60 doctors. Yes. Everybody and their mother. (laughs) You hear that, little guy? Wow. Okay. Wow. That is not a typo. Okay. No, I I read 62. Dr. Kashani has made hundreds of television and professional appearances and provides practical therapy on issues related to parenting, career advancement, self-care, and maintenance, as well as promoting a comprehensive medical assessment and educated treatment. She will patiently address the multitude of issues impacting well-being. Do you got another 25 years to tackle all mine? We got time. Okay, good. We got time. Yeah, <laughs> which affects one's family, social, and professional life, as well as the impact on self. Since 2015, Dr. Kashani has been const- consistently ranked by health grades as the number one child and adolescent psychiatrist in the country. She's in Studio 50. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. And she's absolutely stunning. Oh, well, that's very sweet of you. You guys are beautiful, beautiful. to look at. I'm excited oh to be looking goodness. at this. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And 60 doctors. Wow. That's in, a lot. In all different practices all different specialties. specialties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. My, my mom is in physical medicine and rehab. My dad is a child psychiatrist. My daughter is a child and adolescent psychiatrist. My brother's a neurointerventional radiologist. His daughter's a dermatologist. Wow. I could go on. <laughs> yes. What the hell is Thanksgiving like? What, like, we don't talk politics. We talk, like, it must be a, a kind of a... We actually rarely talk about medicine. Okay. Well, that's probably good. Rarely. You need a break. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm. you know, it's, it's never boring. I can tell yeah. you that. <laughs> yeah. um, but everybody does do something different. And when it comes to, you know, holidays, it's just great to get together, spend mm-hmm. time with the family. It's usually about family and it doesn't end up being about work. Until they leave and then you psychoanalyze them like did you hear what (laughs) or it's just nice that you have somebody in so many different specialties that you have somebody to call if you need anything now that's the truth yeah because you can be like hey can you look at this x-ray like even in my field i've had people say hey i had this weird x-ray and it was a or an mri i'll say forward it to me are you okay sign this release i'll have my brother look at it i'll get you a result by the end of the day and people tend to love that yeah donna you're you're my new bff (laughs) (laughs) Right? Do we want we want Donna? We want Wait, friends. let me give you my holiday list then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. There's 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 another side to it. Done. <laughs> okay, so we kind of tee this up with um, we both have college age kids. I've got two boys. Lisa's got three girls, and things change. Parenting changes, and we don't always do it the right way anymore. And so you have a plethora of knowledge about all the different milestones that we face as parents and our kids face. Walk us through kind of this journey. Well, first of all, not to start on pandemic note, but I think it's critical to talk about that because pre-pandemic, the rates of mood and anxiety disorders were already high. Mood disorders, one out of four kids, by the time they left for college, had a mood disorder. One out of three had an anxiety disorder. Those rates post-pandemic have gone up at least 25% each. Wow. And when you say mood disorder, what... Can you De- give us an depression, example? Okay. Major depressive disorder or depression, bipolar disorder. Ooh. Um, but bipolar, that tends to be more, you know, I can talk about biopsychosocial in a minute, uh, but the the environment is just so stressful for kids right now. Yeah. And as I've been watching everyone for the last three years, I would say, my opinion only, that every person under the age of 25 is about two years behind developmentally. So it might be academically they're behind. It might be socially they're behind. They didn't get the internships in person, being able to get the jobs they want. They were all a couple of years behind. I am so glad you said that. I am too. Because we'll talk a little bit later because we had a little hiccup with my youngest at school and I, not to make excuses for him, but I attribute it to some of it's the lack of social savvy and being out in the real world and knowing how to navigate situations. So, but you remember um, if when your kids were little, did you ever have a friend of theirs that you know the kids were all five, but this kid you made him on the playground. The kid's three years old. He's just really big, and you go, "Well, he's so immature," but he's not. He's three. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so he's acting like a three-year-old. So now all these kids under the age of 25, there's something or other that everybody. I don't know a family who has not hit a speed bump in the last three years. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a major issue. It's ongoing. I'll be really interested to see 
where, when it turns. It's kind of like watching the stock market. Like, what's going to, we can't, we can't gauge it. We don't know what's going to happen next. But the, the kids are struggling. And of course, subsequently, what did somebody tell me? You're only as happy as your least happy child. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So, of course, then families end up worrying or struggling. Mm-hmm. And, and also, kids don't like it when their parents over-worry about them. No. So think about it. You're 18. You're, you've left the house, let's say, for college, uh, kind of typical. And don't, I don't want my mom worrying about me. I don't want my dad asking me about my grades. I just want to be me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll <laughs> chuckle because, yeah, that's relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So you talked about like the 25% increase in issues coming out of the pandemic. Would you also say that that substance abuse and those type of behavioral things are a result of, like, are kids drinking more? Are they abusing drugs more? Um, Well, drugs and alcohol have their own little (laughs) sideshow. Yes. Mm So I, definitely anxiety rates went up. I felt like ADHD got smoked out pretty heavily during the pandemic because of, you know, doing your schoolwork at home. I definitely think anxiety disorders got smoked out. And what do a lot of people do at at the end of the day? You hear, oh, I've had such a stressful day. I'm so worked up. I just need a drink. So unfortunately, kids have um, kind of moved in parallel to that and often are using more THC and more alcohol. I don't, again, we don't have the stats out on that yet. But the other thing that I would encourage parents to do is to pay it attention. You know, sometimes we think, okay, they're teenagers, you know, I don't have to, I need to watch out for their eight-year-old brother now or drive the 12-year-old around. Mm -hmm. The teenagers, a lot of times, they're going to try to pull the wool over your eyes. They're going to act out in a certain way. They're going to become sullen and withdrawn. And you ask them, what's wrong? Nothing. Everything good? Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm just on my friend, you know, on the phone with my friends or just texting or whatever, just watching YouTube videos to chill mom. Leave me alone. So I do think it's really critical to to recognize they might be doing things. I've had parents, I've had kids tell me, yeah, I have this, uh, you know, THC pod. And my mom asked me what it was. And I told her it was a USB port and she believed me. So it's things like that we need to really pay attention to so that the the kids will feel more anxious if they do not have adequate supervision. They might not like it because Mm -hmm. in their adolescence, they're in their identity formation phase. Who am I? What am I all about? They're also in this period of uh, adolescent narcissism. The world revolves around them. Oh, yeah. And classic adolescent narcissistic statements are, I'll pull out. She won't get pregnant. I drive better high. You know, those are kind of, that's how they think. The world revolves around them. And I've had kids tell me, oh, I had this big pimple on my nose. I could not go to the party. Everybody would be looking at me. So we also have to realize there's different stages developmentally. And we can go back and talk about younger stages as well. But there are two times in your life it's normal to be narcissistic. One is the preschool years. You know, mommy, mommy, me do it. Let me tie my own shoes. But they don't have the fine motor skills to tie shoes. So we give them Velcro shoes. (laughs) And then the teenage years, 13 to 20. So you think about that. That's half of college. Um, and during that period of time, kids do feel like everything's related to them. Their parents are fighting. Oh, it's because I'm not doing well in school. That's why my parents are fighting, rather than just kind of recognizing it contextually. So if a kid has a stressor during the preschool years or during adolescence, that's severe. Maybe parental separation, maybe moving from your childhood home, maybe you know a, a loved one passes away, uh, any kind of severe trauma. Kids can get developmentally stuck in that stage. So my mm. concern is how many of these kids that were 13 to 20 years old during the pandemic are going to be stuck a little bit developmentally and, and need to be maneuvered through that and bring it to their conscious awareness. And those are kind of some of the benefits of therapy. Uh, so it, it is a heavily loaded topic. There's a lot there, but there's also help out there for those kids. Wow. Gotcha. Okay. That's well, a lot. you kind of brought up this narcissistic theme. And, you know, we live in a a world where everything is at the ready, comes right to our fingertips, and it comes right when we want it. I'll just say it is for me, where I really struggle is setting the right expectations for how hard the journey of life is, and how it's it's a long journey with a lot of twists and turns that don't always amount to where you want it to go. And also how to be tough on them. I, I think we get in this trap where we become so empathetic and we become so afraid of some of these disorders. Like, I I don't want them to be depressed. I don't want them to be anxious. I don't want, but yet at the same time, they have to manage through that. And some of that is just normal shit that we as 
humans have to deal with. What's your thoughts there? Okay, so I'm so glad you asked that because I think the uh, most critical thing for us to realize is there are different parenting styles. They've been Mm -hmm. studied and documented. There's one healthy parenting style. So I'll explain them. Number one is an authoritative parent. Number two is an authoritarian parent. Number three is a permissive parent. And number four is a neglectful parent. And they only monitor two things, affection and discipline. The authoritative parent is high discipline, high affection. So you have those expectations of the kids. You do discipline them if they take a left turn where they should have taken a right turn. But you're loving, you're affectionate, you don't hold a grudge. You also let them know what they do well. Number two, the authoritarian parent is high discipline, low affection. Mm. So that is not the warm and fuzzy parent, and they have very high expectations of you. The permissive parent, which I see a lot of, is low discipline, high affection. My kid can do no wrong. Yeah. They got, and I know you've heard the term helicopter parent, but there's also the bulldozer parent, which let me get every obstacle out of your way Uh. so that you have nothing in your way to get, be as successful as you can be. Those kids have a little bit of a failure to launch when they go to college because they have to learn. I tried to talk to my teacher about my grade and I did turn my paper in. He just lost it. That's not my fault. And if they don't realize like, oh, I tried and he still didn't give me, you know, the boost in my grade or credit where it was due, then they're they're going to there's going to be nobody to guide them when they're older and at school. Right. And then the neglectful parent is low discipline, low affection. So if you can have a high discipline, high affection parenting style, and again, uh, let's differentiate between the word discipline and punishment. If my 5-year-old hits my uh, 3-year-old, I can say, go to your room. How did you come out of me? You're a devil child. This is a terrible thing that you've done. Don't come down to eat. You're grounded for life. Okay, that's punishment. That's not effective? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. Back it up. But the discipline is, hey, sweetie, we don't hit in this household. Your sister was just looking at your toy. You're going to sit at the bottom of the steps for three minutes. When you're done sitting there, you're going to come help her finish up cleaning, and you're going to apologize. I love you. Go sit there, please. Mm-hmm. That's discipline. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even with your teenage children, so that brings up the issue of how do you deal with the, the uh, you know, let's just say 10 and up kid, 10 years and up, because you might, your 24-year-old might do something that was silly or stupid. And you, you want to tell them, like, what were you thinking? But instead you say, hey, can I talk to you about, you know, X, Y, or Z? And sit down and talk with them and observe. So this would be another huge, I think, you know, get out your mental highlighter, take home message is observe and don't react. So if you can observe what the child did, hey, I noticed that when your sister got the award, you immediately pulled out your phone. I'm sure you recognize it could have come across as disrespectful. I know she was really excited about getting the award and was really happy that you were here to watch it. That's just an Mm -hmm. observation. Put that phone away. What is wrong with you? Everybody can see what you're doing. It's not punishment. And it gives them something to think about, you know. Well, and then, and then they can own it, and then mm-hmm. they can learn to change the behavior later without you being there by their side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just haymaker my kid. Is that not good? <laughs> Get your f. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, <clears throat> but that is a good that. Yeah, an observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the other thing is, you know, parents have said to me like, "Oh my gosh, I think I ruined my kid. I yelled at them, or I spanked, or whatever." You know, you're not. It's hard to ruin a kid. So also just realize. Um, and I and this is the one of the things I was saying earlier that I think would be helpful to go back to and talk about is whether it's diabetes, hypertension, depression, anxiety, it is biopsychosocial in nature. And the biologics, the genetics, what runs in the family, the apple doesn't fall far. The psychological is the temperament. And you have more than one child, you know they have yeah. different temperaments. Yep. So uh, a, an internalizing child, they're going to get sad. They're going to get depressed. The externalizing child in terms of temperament, when they are pissed, the whole world will know that they are upset. And then the social is the environment. And that one's really, you know, heavily loaded because, you know, where are they in terms of the birth order? What were the parents going through at a certain time when one was one age and, you know, the other one was in the narcissistic state developmentally? Right. Um is there bullying? I can't even tell you how many middle school girls I've seen in a full-on clinical depression from, you know, somebody just kicking them out of the group. So Ugh. there's a lot of different factors there. Mm-hmm. So biopsychosocial and assessment, but then it's also biopsychosocial and treatment. So if it is a notable, you know, hypertension, depression, anxiety, ADHD, then we're going to treat that with medication as appropriate. And the same way symptoms run in families, response to medication runs in families. So it's very important uh. to give that family history. 
For the temperamental part, which is, you know, just part of who you are from the day you're born. Actually, Mm -hmm. they have infant temperament studies. Um, So from the temperament perspective, that's where you have the internalizing kid be more assertive, be more confident. Um, I had had a really cute college girl a few um, a a while back say to me, I was so excited um, this week. When Starbucks messed up my order, I went in, I went back to the counter, and I said, excuse me, I'm so sorry, but I think I have the wrong coffee. And I was able to do that. That's assertiveness. That's just, And for her, that was a huge step to be able to do that. So the internalizing child who has anxiety, maybe some social anxiety, teaching them different ways to, like, assertiveness training right. uh, rather than, you know, there's aggression, assertion, and uh, being compliant. So being assertive. And for a person who's... Uh, really, let's say, uh, anxious. I, I was just going to say. <laughs> it's just that I told you, the dog is snores. Oh, yeah, we got, we got the pooches snoring. in the studio today because it's a long day. <laughs> um, so the, the, the anxiety disorders are something that you can get the kids to be a little bit more assertive. The kids that have a little bit more aggression can learn to self-regulate. And that's the task of adolescence. The frontal lobe isn't even formed yet. And I'll talk about lobes at some point. And then the environment, you know, sometimes I suggest we change schools for a kid if it's just really not a good fit. Uh, Sometimes it's the the specific, the math teacher who has a different style that doesn't work for this kid. And a lot of the schools I find, I've been in San Diego for 15 years, are, um, they're very open to hearing. I can send a text message or email to, you know, the school psychologist and say, hey, you know, little Johnny has got a lot of stress at home. His parents are fighting a lot. Can you just back off the homework for two weeks? Okay, done. Yeah. No questions asked. No questions asked. Yeah. So we have to also advocate for our kids. Yes. Um, and the because a lot of times, again, the kids don't know how to advocate for themselves, but not to overstep and do too much for them. It's that fine balance. It is a fine balance. I mean, uh, I think that having our our kids go off to school, knowing as a parent, what you're reading is that anxiety that they maybe weren't typically an anxious kid, but now all of a sudden they're showing anxiety or telling you they're not happy or telling you that they're they're overstressed, knowing when to just kind of guide them on and say this is part of normal life. Or when is it a red flag that I need to dig deeper in this and I might need to get them help? That to me is something that I've struggled with as my girls have gone off to school. And I don't know if what you... It's very nebulous. Yeah. It that, is. It's that hard little... to know. It is. Um, and, and again, I think if you remember the, the developmental stage that they're in, and if you remember what is their temperament... That'll be able to help you decide, you know, what to do with it. But for example, you know, anxiety disorders are worrying about something that's unreasonable for an excessive amount. The pandemic got all the germaphobes pretty freaked out. Right. (laughs) So that can, you know, that's an environmental stressor that can activate things. Not getting into the sorority you want, not getting into the college you want. I mean, there's a lot of different factors that can uh, activate the environmental stress. But I think if you just look at depression, it's two weeks or more of a depressed mood. If you're under the age of 18, it's an irritable mood. So you can have an irritable child, and then there's changes in sleep. You sleep too much or too little. Changes in appetite. You eat too much or too little. Low energy level. Difficulty concentrating. Feelings of helplessness. Either passive suicidal thoughts, like, I wish I could just go to bed and not wake up tomorrow, or active suicidal thoughts, like, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z when mom and dad leave the house tonight. Mm -hmm. So passive suicidal thoughts are pretty common. I see that a lot. People are like, oh, I just, I just wish this year was over. Or I just, so what if my car went off the cliff? So those are pretty common. And I think people are kind of scared and don't, don't realize that that can be contextual. Then, and of course, everybody worries about suicide. That's a whole nother conversation. But 15%, and this is the highest mortality rate in the mental health field, 15% of people with a mood disorder, so either depression or bipolar disorder, plus a substance abuse disorder, alcohol or drugs, will commit suicide. Wow. That's, that's a huge a number. big percentage, right? And, right. th- and that's under the age of 18 or in, in, in life? life. In okay. Life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, you look at a Robin Williams and, you know, people yeah. like that. So it's it's the, the substance abuse plus the mood disorder. The mood disorders have to be treated. So as parents, we do need to be alert to that. And yes, unfortunately, I have kids that have come in 
three years, five years, 10 years after their symptoms started, and they'll just say, I just thought I was, you know, stressed because the girls were mean to me in school, mm-hmm. or I just thought that was my personality to be a little bit shy, or, you I know. thought everybody feels this way. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. So then to go back to the diagnostic criteria for depression, if you have, and then there's motor agitation or motor restlessness, or just kind of being really lethargic and slowed down. But if you have a few of those symptoms for two weeks or more, that's a clinical depression. That's called major depressive disorder. Dysthymia is a chronic low-grade depression. That's the Eeyores that you know. Okay. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, it's raining again. Oh, my AC bill is so high. You know, just kind of that person that's always got a little bit of a negative bend to them. Okay. And then anxiety disorders is worrying about things to an unreasonable extent. But also, again, changes in maybe sleep or appetite. Kids will say, I just lay there thinking all day long. Uh, There's ruminative anxiety about the past. I should have done that. If only I would have texted them that instead. I have that. Mm -hmm. Ding, ding. What is that called? Ruminative, so think ruminative. About, like, they're ruminating they're over ruminating. and over. Mm-hmm. And then there's here and now anxiety. Do I look okay? You know, is um, it, you know, is the seam showing in my sock? And is that one thing in my hair is flipping up? It's driving me nuts. Does everybody else see how much I'm playing with my hair? Yeah. And then there's anticipatory anxiety for the future. How am I going to do uh, when I go to this party? I don't know anybody. Who am I going to talk to? Am I going to do well on this test? I know I've been studying for six hours, but I don't know if I'm going to really do well because the other kids are so much smarter. So kids that have more than an hour a day of either ruminative, you know, present or future anticipatory anxiety, they're they're uncomfortable. It ends up affecting wow. your life. And yeah. you know, my numbers that I ask is, do you worry less than an hour a day, one to three hours a day, three to five hours, or more than five hours? And I'd say, you know, again, you're looking at mild, moderate, and severe symptoms. And the people with the mild symptomatology will say, oh, you know, like I don't know, forty-five minutes to like an hour and a half a day. The people with uh, moderate symptomatology will say, you know, the three hours a day and the severe is more than five hours a day of worrying. That's exhausting. Wow. That's a lot of, yeah, a lot of worrying and a lot of energy spent on something other than what our life. Productive. Yeah, productivity. Okay, and in that scale, at what point as a parent, you do you, do you say, okay, now is it moderate or is it mild that you maybe get them someone to talk to? I think it's always better to, to have eyes laid on them. Now, then that, of course, brings up the issue of, you know, finding a good therapist. Mm-hmm. Do you need to go in network? You know, it is not an inexpensive task. No. Um, so finding somebody in network is easier. I often will get calls from people and, you know, if we, I, I'm, they don't, they're not a good fit for my clinic, I will help them. I'll go through their network of providers. It might take 20, 30 minutes of my time, but that's kind of part of my community service because people are, I can't tell you how many people call and just cry on the phone, just, huh. just trying to make an appointment for their child. It's, it's probably mm-hmm. the most stressful thing you go through. Sure. But if you're seeing any of those signs, let's say, for example, with depression or excessive anxiety, or the other thing is changes in behavior, you know, somebody who becomes super withdrawn all of a sudden, somebody whose grades go from A's and B's to, you know, failing out, um, somebody who suddenly cares about how she looks or becomes suddenly withdrawn. Because again, adolescents, they're going to think about how they look on statistically, I think the typical teenage girl, and probably this is an understatement, look at themselves either on their phone or reflection or the mirror 72 times a day. Wow. <laughs> so, you know. Um, is that a fact? There's all kinds of studies out there. Oh, my it's God. It's very common. I don't like to look at myself on my phone. And, and Instagram posts. Think about that one. You know how much refining they do of the posts? I'll have girls tell me I took 200 and I, I got this exact quote, 220 pictures of myself just for one, just like one simple post, just the one with the best angle of my jaw and my chin and my nose, et cetera. And they didn't even really like it that much on top of that it. That was a struggle. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it, it right now it is a very sensory overstimulating environment. People are exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel that way at times. Let's talk about that because we grew up where we didn't have phones, first of all. I mean, we had the pay phones, the grimy little drop a, a dime yeah. in there. We were off the grid and now we're in a situation where, and, and I, honestly, I, I'm one of those parents where I do put my trust in my two boys until they lose my trust, and then maybe I get a little bit more involved. I don't look at their grades, um, even though they've both given me access to do so, uh, because I feel like I get nutted up more than probably they do, right? But I'm a little bit more kind of take it back, but I do have a lot of friends 
that monitor where their kids go, when they go. Like, they're still highly... What's your thoughts there? I mean, you, you have three girls. There's a little bit more, when you have college girls, a little bit more safety concerns with mm-hmm. them getting home safe versus boys, I think, mentally. But what's the like? What's the balance there? You're right. It, but it also depends on the child. Okay. I, in general, the approach of I trust you until you screw yourself over right. is a better approach okay. because you're showing them that you trust them. Mm-hmm. And kids going into, I, I definitely recommend the approach of not talking with kids about schoolwork. And again, when I say observe and don't react, walking in the room and saying, oh, I see you're playing video games and it's nine o'clock at night. Didn't you have a Spanish test tomorrow? Yeah, mom, I do. Oh, okay, just checking. Good night. That's it. That's an observation. That's not, put the game away. Because again, if you're okay, if you personally have the temperament to be okay with your child, you know, not going to an Ivy and not getting into the best school that their intellect would allow them to get into based on the amount of work. If it's not an internalized sense of self, I am who I am because I think I am, not because I want you to be happy with me. Kids that are trying to constantly please their parents are at risk because then to go back to that biopsychosocial, they are at risk of marrying somebody who might be controlling, who -hmm. might be all over them, who might say, whether it's a guy or a girl, your son or your daughter, of putting them in a space, if that the child is more of an internalizer, there's been one aggressive parent, let's say, or, or the heavy, as I call it, who's the heavy in the house? Who's the one that's like, do your homework? Why don't you do this? Put your phone away. If you have one parent that's that way, and the child has been trained to become heavily subordinate, that child is going to be really at risk of growing up to marry a partner who's going to control them, growing up to have a business partner who's going to control them. Yeah, that's a really great way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, mm-hmm. so let's talk about this because the other dynamic that reflecting n- now and looking at the road behind me, I find that we as parents, because of the the environment we're in and the competitiveness, okay, now we're a global, uh-huh. you know, society where we have international <laughs> students or whatever, but we get our kids kind of in a lane that we think and coach them maybe into a lane that we think that they should be in and then they just kind of stay that course versus us kind of where it used to be, we would kind of ping pong and pinball our way through life and figure out what our own lane was. What What are your thoughts there and what is your recommendations? Because I do think that we, as parents in this society now, do that a lot. Are you like referring to, for Athletes, example, like musicians, sports, dance, okay, at their activities at a younger activities age? Activities or kind of how they're labeled. Like, oh, yes. she's the dancer and she's going to get into, or she's the cellist. She's going to go into Harvard and play the cello because that's what she, and we put all our resources and time into it without kind of letting it just organically come out the way it should. And and that's also complicated because you do need to put in the time and the effort and the coaching and kind of all the extra work to get it to the next level. However, I can't tell you how many kids I see by junior, senior year of high school who are completely burned out. They'll be like, yeah, yeah I've been playing baseball or volleyball or, you know, water polo, whatever, fill in the blank sport um, all this time. And I don't love it. And my parents want me to go to college and play. And then we have to weigh out, okay, what are the, you know, the benefits of getting into a better college with that, you know, D1 athlete versus that really doesn't matter. Now you have significant right. injuries and that's going to hurt you for the rest of your life. So. That's a case by case. But I definitely think one of the biggest parenting mistakes people make is they decide predetermined, okay, we're a science family, you're going to go into science. We're an art family, you're going to go into art. You know, we're all dentists, you're going to become a dentist. And I think it's really critical to let your children have a different calling, which is whatever it is that's their passion. Yeah. They're going to be much more successful at their passion. My parents growing up said, go make the world a better place. That was always my family's, you know, kind of motto. Well, they're psychologists and psychiatrists. So, like, yeah, well, they so, knew better. <laughs> well, one of them was. You'd like to think so. Well, one of them was. One, and of, one of them was. One of a rehab doctor. But, you know, it's, it is, it's, uh, it's a very different mindset than mm-hmm. go do what we're doing. Yeah. In fact, I think my dad tried to talk me out of going into medicine. <laughs> um, but I think it's really critical to think about, okay, let me step away myself from, oh, I didn't get to... I didn't get to be a cheerleader, so I'm going to force my daughter to be a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't like it. The kids are being mean to her. It's not her interest. She's an artist. you know. So I think we have to extract ourselves from parenting and then also mm-hmm. just look at the child purely. And the child might, might be your 30-year-old child, <clears throat> but just looking at them and seeing 
Who are they? How are they? Are you still criticizing your 30-year-old for what they were doing when they were 12? Um, And that brings up the issue of criticism and saying, I'm proud of you. I'd like to speak to that. I believe after the age of six, you should not say, I'm proud of you to your child. After the age of six, you can say, wow, I saw you practicing for weeks for the piano recital. You went up there and you just killed it. You must be so proud of yourself. You must be so proud. Very different because now that child has to own that. And that child growing up will own that and will be proud of their successes, not trying to make you proud, and upset with themselves about their disappointments and failures. Oh, that's powerful. That is powerful. Yes. So giving, telling a child... Because um, I do that all the time. I'm not going to lie. I say, oh, I'm so oh, proud of you. Yeah. yeah. And I think you can you can tweak that and just even say, that is just amazing. Like, are you just not beyond proud of yourself about this? It's just, The child is hearing the same message, like, right. wow, mom's positive. Praise. Yeah. Yes. But it's different because then they have full ownership for it. And it's so critical. And you can change it at any point. This isn't just something that, oh, you missed your you know landing spot at age six. You can change it at any point. And, and kids... I have the opposite problem with my kids because I've been doing this all their whole life. And now they'll look at me and go, I know you want to say you're proud of me and you're just not doing it. I can see it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, go away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, that's great. So there's no, it's never too late to start. It's what not. You're saying. It's not. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a little bit of a different language to talk to the observe and don't react language. Yes. Uh, it, it takes, I'm not joking. It takes about 18 months. A to practice. really a practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. If you're going to go learn French or Spanish or Italian right now, it's going to take about 18 months for you to learn that language and feel a little bit. You might feel awkward talking it, but you can read it a little bit better. Your you know, uh, yes. reception of the language is better. So, And then start observing everyone around you. Start looking at your friends. Start looking at your partner. Um, look at people you play golf or tennis or pickleball with. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> Look around and see how do people act. If you observe and don't react, it's so powerful. You go to an event and somebody's really rude to you. You don't need to leave and be like, can you believe that bee? Why was she like that all up in my business? Like, what was her problem? Or you can just say, wow, did you notice? You can say to your partner, let's say, or your friend, did you notice that she wouldn't make eye contact with me? Um, She was trying to make a few digs. It was really interesting to watch. I wonder where that came from. Wow. Wow. You see how much more powerful that is? Now Mm -hmm. you're not the victim of anything. You're the observer. You're the narrator of the story. Learn to narrate what goes on around you and observe it with wide open glasses. You will see so much more than you've ever seen. Interesting. Wow. I love that. Okay, question for you. We do, whether we like it or not, parenting over text, right? Okay. Give an example. What do you mean by that? You can't pick up the phone and call. Like, we can reach out to our kid, even when they're in class, because sometimes I'll Mm -hmm. ask a logistical question to one of the kids, and I'll I'll pick up the phone to call, and I can't answer them in class, but I can still text. Mm -hmm. So we have conversations with our children over the device, recommendations there, because it's going to happen whether we like it or not, and it's a kind of a – it's no different than if we have friendship conversations where things Mm -hmm. get lost in translation. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, and if you have, let's say, an ADHD child, they're going to see your third text, not your first and second, <laughs> often. So, yes, uh-huh. things can uh, – and then do you throw And they it? can escalate, right, if you're having an argument over – Or throw an LOL in there. Are you laughing at me or are you mm-hmm. laughing because what you said was silly? You know, so, yes, a lot can be lost in translation. But you can always put it off. Say, oh, okay, sweetie, I have a couple of things I want to talk about. Call me when you have three minutes. Yeah. Label the time. Label okay. the time. So I know when I call my kids now, you know, they're both really busy in their lives. Um, I'll say, hey, sweetie, I just had five minutes on my way to work. Just call in to check in on you. And then one of them might say, oh, yay, good. I was I was waiting until you called. One might say, I'm just about to go to a meeting. I just answered to make sure it wasn't an emergency. I'm like, okay, great. Talk to you later. Hang up. So also not personalizing that, like, oh, no, I just got rejected by my mm-hmm. child. You're not. We're all busy. Yes. Um, I, you know, we all have things that we need to do. And sometimes the timing isn't great. So I think via text, absolutely. I mean, I know when texting first came out, I had some older parents and their kids were going off to college. And I, I said, they were like, what do I need to do so I maintain a relationship with my child? I said, learn to text. Yeah. 
How many grandparents right now text with their grandkids? Oh, yeah. It's so great. So mm-hmm. the ones that learned have a little bit closer connection. Send funny. And then that's the other thing, I think, in terms of the content of the texting is if you can send funny emojis or memes or, you know, kind of connecting with your child in a way that's not, did you do this? So after the age, I, I say by senior year of high school and after, don't tell your child what to do. Don't tell your child what not to do. Those are hard. Those are really, really hard. That's great. I mean, that is that if I walk away with nothing today, that was the best, I think, thing that you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, I can't get there. I know. Um, (laughs) That's a hard one. It's so hard. But you can say, gosh, I'm so tempted right now to go tell you to study, but I'm walking away. Now, that's a way of saying, I wish, you know, that's observing. That's like, I really wish you were studying, but I'm not going to say anything. So I think it's really critical to not, if you start telling them what to do, you are the critical parent, and they're just like, blah, blah, blah. It just turns into the, you know, the little cartoon from Peanuts, want, 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 want. That's what they're hearing. Yeah. Rather than true content. Okay, Donna. So one of the things that Lisa and I have been, now that we're, you know, 10 times five, mm-hmm. we have empty nesters, which we call free birds, by the way, because empty is bad. Oh, tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet, mm-hmm. right? Yes. <laughs> is that requires us really internalizing and reflecting and associating ourselves with our own specific purpose or lane. And that's not always an easy thing to do. But when we are able to do that, it's much easier for us to become less emotionally dependent and enmeshed with our kids. What is your recommendations there? Your keyword there is enmeshment. So those families that are your, you know, your success is my success and your failure is my failure and the sun and you know rises and sets on you, they're going to have a really hard time. So I would definitely say it's important for parents to have their own identity. I always talk to couples, make sure mm-hmm. you've got your date nights and your own time together and go on vacations and don't worry about the kids if you can control yourself um, and let them see you as a couple because that, by the way, is really great role models modeling for your children to see that their parents are in love and want to hang out and want to do things together, be active together. Um, And then kids nowadays, it it depends. It depends on the child. It depends on their personality. But if the child is overly dependent, that's another problem because sometimes the parents are like, go, you know, fly away, be free. And the child becomes overly dependent. That's a harder one to kind of help them have other people that they can kind of leverage once they go off to school. So again, I think part of that depends on the personality of the child. But I definitely think the parent needs to have their own identity. And the most important word of the day is passions. Kids need to have their passions. We need to have our passions. And they don't have to be the same. I mean, I think that's key, right? They're often not. And it would make sense that they're not because we're at different stages of life, right? Correct. Well, no, but I think parents, to some degree, we all do it a little bit maybe, but you know that, like you talked about the mom that wasn't a cheerleader that didn't make the cheer squad. I think that there's unfinished business sometimes that we, in the Mm -hmm. back of our brains, are, are playing out through. So we might have been passionate about something and then we are superimposing that on our child, right? Or that, oh, you're so good at, you know, X, Y, Z, you're wasting your talent. Well, they don't want to do it. They don't like it. Right. Maybe they're a phenomenal golfer, but they don't like golf. And like 40% of girls' golf scholarships go unused in BT dubs. (laughs) 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 But, you know, the child has to have an interest, uh, a passion for it, and have – the hard work. Because you can have the smartest child in the world. If they don't work hard, you can't instill that type of discipline into a child if they don't already have it. So the kid that doesn't really try that hard is super smart. You control yourself and observe and don't react. Don't tell them what to do. Don't tell them to study. They might go off to an above average college and then realize there, I want to go to a, you know, a kick-ass grad school. Mm-hmm. And so that's when they kind of right. figure it out. And again, be ready for all the kids to be a little bit behind for a little while until things normalize. And even the new normal is a little bit odd. Sure. Yeah. Ugh. I know my, my expression I use for my youngest is he's just going to need a little more time in the oven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like a little loaf of bread, right? We've got to be patient. You know, that's why I say to my husband, got to be patient. Still raw in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Pillsbury Doughboy. 
Okay, so going back to purpose, and so let's say I am that, and in this case, we're women. I am that woman that has been the perennials. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I sacrificed my career. did all the things because I chose to do it, so I have no regrets about it. And now my kids are gone, and I'm having a really hard time understanding, am I passionate? What am I passionate about? And and you you might see some depressive behaviors. Yes, yeah. So again, you know, you need to listen to yourself. I think there's a lot of noise, even for us adults. There's a lot of noise of what is everybody else's expectation of me? Expectation as a mother, as a partner, in business, whatever the expectation might be. So ask yourself. This is a really great um, thing to practice. Uh, you know how in work they have like the 360 review and they'll say, oh, over the last year, this is what we noticed uh, from you at work. I see a lot of executives. I think what you can do is say to yourself, if I look at December 31st of 2023, what do I want to look back at myself and say, oh, in the rearview mirror, I did this, this, and this. So that's very different than, you know, a uh, New Year's resolution sure. or something like that. It's and you want to like do that. it you want to do it proactively. Yeah. And I kind of break life into four categories. One is your social life, one is your academic if you're a kid or professional life if you have one. But some stay-at-home mom is definitely the hardest profession in the world. One is your self your health, your well-being, your spirituality, what you do for others, you know, giving back to the community. And then the other one is family. So look at those four cam- categories, family, social, self, and professional, and look at those and say, what would I like to do in each of those four categories? And that will give you, that will basically mm-hmm. craft for you what you should be doing according to you <laughs> at the end of next year. Uh, the end of next year. And work backwards, if you will. Yes. Okay, that makes complete sense. Yeah. I like that. I do too. I was. I respond better to working backwards than I do project because it tend I tend to taper off. Yeah, I have all these and it's overwhelming and oh and uh, and then I just it just falls off. Well, can we talk a little bit about social because I think that is huge and I think it's huge for our kids too because it's so easy to have the one on one relationship with a screen or and the art of being social and I, I think it's so important for our kids to see us have healthy friendships with our peers and yes. to do stuff socially. Mm-hmm. Would you find that we're doing that less and less? Well if you look at all the longevity studies, all the centenarians are social. That's yeah. a, that's actually mm-hmm. one of the most important things. And um, there's recent studies that show that um, being withdrawn and not being social is more dangerous to your health than smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I mean, wow. that's wow. mind-blowing. So, yeah. yes, it does speak to the critical aspect of social life. And, again, I'm going to – I'm seeing a lot of different – kind of avenues of how to come to that conclusion. Yes, part of it is studies, but how many kids have I heard say to me like, oh, my parents have no friends or my mom has no friends. She talks to the nail lady and that's her friend. So kids don't respect that. <laughs> right. Well, and I think... I mean, nothing against nail lady. No, you know no, I mean? no. But just, yes, yes. I get what you're saying. Yes. Well, I think it. I, I have this kind of theory that, it, you know, and this is my little crusade is I think that we've become so quantitative with people. You know, what? what's your zip code? What do you drive? What's your SAT or GPA or this or that? Or, And I think we've lost the appreciation of human connection. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, having a conversation with someone, making the eye contact, mm-hmm. actually showing empathy to another human being that you walk by. And so when I see my kids... Being social and being with their friends and, and you know, even like seeing them in Halloween costumes and putting themselves out there or at yeah. tailgates. or right. It makes me really happy. And it also reminds me that, you know, th- that's what we should all be doing, right? Yeah. Yes. And and um, there's there's things that you can still do. You can it's never too late to go, you know, join a club or go somewhere yeah. and play a sport or it doesn't have to be anything that's aggressive or. Do you know difficult. there's naked pickleballing? I know. I just threw up on my mouth a little. Ew. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would enjoy that. There's enough balls on the court. Yeah. I don't think that's yes. indicated. Yeah. No. no, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, goodness. I have heard. And unfortunately seen because people like to send me things like that because oh. they know I like pickleball. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thanks for sharing. Boy, that, that gives new meaning to the word dink. <laughs> that is a TMI moment right there. Yeah. <laughs> 
boy, oh my you kept that one in your pocket. Okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about, so speaking of passions and speaking of pickleball, which we all mm-hmm. do here at the table, you have kind of gone on this new venture and added a new dimension to your life. So let's talk about luxury pickleball. Okay, great. Yes, my husband and I started uh, playing pickleball 14 months ago. Um, mm-hmm. We joined one of the local clubs. Oh, you're all in then. Yeah, we're all in. And we play about four times a week. Wow. <laughs> and uh, he is a has a background in as an IT executive, sales and marketing. I'm a concierge physician. So about four months ago, I said to him, I'd really like to start this new business. And he just took a long look at me and said, <laughs> Are you sure? It's a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, of course. It'll be fun. We love pickleball. We've had a lot of the pros, top 10 pros stay with us at our house when they're kind of coming through San Diego. Uh, We love watching it. We go to the events and watch the professionals play. So we decided to start it. And we have have the deputy commissioner of the PPA, the Pickleball Professional Association, as our advisor. Um, And he's uh, an agent for some of the top pros. And he said he gets approached with a lot of uh, with a lot of ideas, and he really just liked our idea and decided to work with us. So we're excited about that. So we have luxury pickleball vacations as part of the options <laughs> that are that are offered, and then kind of high end pre curated uh, items that you can use. Like I don't know if you know, but Prada eyewear just came out with ventilated glasses, so you don't sweat inside your sunglasses, and those are just coming out this month. So wow. things like that, kind of the higher end. And items. Wow. Wow. So it's a marketplace. You've created a, like a, a website yes. or, okay. Yes, luxurypickleball.com. Excellent. And I've been on the website. It's very, and, and I, all the products are right up my alley. Yeah. So they're very <laughs> tastefully done. And pickleball is a thing for sure. I mean, the fastest growing sport in the world right now. That is correct. You know. It was going up uh, about 20, 21% during the pandemic, then it went to 38%, and now it's going to kind of balance out. But I heard a stat that 80% of the people, uh, 80% of the people that will be playing pickleball in 2030 haven't even picked up a paddle yet. Yeah. So That's it's going to boom. Well, wow. the thing that I love about pickleball is it's, it's social and a sport. Mm-hmm. Like you go out there yeah. and, and you get your competitive energy out, you break a sweat, hopefully, mm-hmm. but you have fun. It's just like, it's a, it's a social friendly kind of sport. And it's, I don't exaggerate, but I, I think we've met about 90 to hundred people from starting pickleball. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's easy to pick up. I mean, it's not as, you know, when you think Daunting. About starting, yeah. yeah it's starting not like golf for sure. Tennis where people are been playing their whole lives and there's just a whole nother, it's just easier to adapt and yeah. And have fun with. And our pickleball paddle we just came out with. Um, Which she brought us. Yes. Yeah. Yay. Uh, so it's, um, it's you know, made where all the, the top name brands are made at the same factory. And I made the weight such that it's not too heavy because, you know, so many great. people end up having some brachioradialis mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of t- tennis elbow type I issues. have that right now. Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, there was a lot of thought that went into making that. And again, it's, there's nothing in the luxury market in pickleball. And we just wanted to speak to the kinds of people that we the kinds of things we would buy ourselves or the kinds right. of people we would hang out with would want. Yeah. And implementing the you haven't yet done or like a retreat or vacation as of yet. Is that correct with your no, um, actually, right now, Rancho Valencia does have a kind of a pickleball vacation. They're on our site right okay. now. And we are adding, I, I, we're talking to over 200 places right now. So again, this just, we just came out, uh, launched the site a couple of weeks ago. It's all, you know, brand spanking new, um, but lots lots of more good stuff well, to come. Very and if, exciting. And yeah. the pros are going to the, actually, four of the top pros, the number two women's, the number four women's, number one men's, number four men's, they're all going to be providing pro coaching on our site as well. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. you. It's a prime example of taking something you're passionate about and you enjoy and taking it to the next level. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So where do people find you if they want to seek your... Professional, yes. And, And then let's talk handles for luxury pickable. Okay, sure. So you can just search my name, Donna Kishani, MD. You can go to La Jolla Concierge Psychiatry. Um, I have another psychiatrist that I have working for me there, and um, he's been great, a really great addition. Um, And I do see some clients in the Scottsdale Paradise Valley area as well. But right now, it's 
mostly in La Jolla, on just searching my name online, everything will pop up. Okay. And it's luxurypickleball.com? Yes. All right. You ready to have a little fun? Oh, absolutely. Every day. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, of course, being that I'm a, a pickleball aficionado, but I, I have had to slow my jets down a little bit because I did get the elbow issue, but it's all good now. Um, it's getting better. We're going to have a little fun with some pickleball trivia. Ooh, fun. Okay. How long has it been around? This is very surprising. Is this a question for yeah, me? I, I know feel like the answer. It's been around a long time. Yeah. 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. 50 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just a pandemic sport. No. You know what? I remember my kids would come up and like, oh, we had pickleball in PE today or whatever. And I was like, what is pickleball? Like, I didn't pickleball. even. Yeah. My husband played it in high school yeah. in Nova Scotia, Canada. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How fast relative to a tennis ball is a pickleball? How, as far as its mm. travel. Oh, the travel trajectory is much lower because it's a wiffle ball. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it goes a third of the rate. Yeah. yeah. That would make sense. Ding, ding. That's another reason. If you, you slow down. Yeah. Okay. I That that was surprising because sometimes, you know, if you're playing Hillary Loretta on the other end or, and she's, she's a tennis player and, boy, that albatross, that ball comes at me fast. I just kind of... Anyway. The best thing to do is slow it down, right? Yeah, slow it down. <laughs> okay. Where in, and this is for people that may not have played pickleball, but where on the court is the place you want to avoid? I know that. Well, you want to be on the other side of the kitchen line. Yes. The <laughs> kitchen. kitchen. The non-volley zone. The yes. kitchen. Yes. And and in my home, mm. I have a secondary pickleball area in my kitchen is, I avoid it at all costs. So there you go. <laughs> oh, I knew I was made for pickleball when they said, stay out of the kitchen. Okay. Where did the pickle part of pickleball come from? Uh, folklore says that the people that started it in Bainbridge Island had a dog named Pickles. Did you study before this test? No. Wow. That is so uh, she interesting. Knows her stuff. Okay. Wow. Okay, and then what is the term you use for the low trajectory shot on the court? You've got to dink. dink. You've got, got to drive. Dink. Yes. Yeah. You've got to dink the ball. So for those players that are coming very fast at you, my pro would be very happy with me right now. Yeah. <laughs> at least being able to say it. <laughs> I don't know if I can always slow it down. <laughs> I'm a work in progress. <laughs> Here you go. I hate those damn dinks. They're the best. They're so great to practice. No. Yeah. Yeah. Our fr a friend of ours has a dog named Dinky. Oh. <laughs> I think Dinky was around before she started playing pickleball, right? No. Or was that a different, a she new named, one? She named oh, it after. Okay. Dinky. Oh, she not because she made a lot of dinkies. She is a dink. <laughs> she's a good dinker. She's a good. She's a good player. Yeah. So she's worked on it for a while, though. Mm -hmm. You know, I I just refuse to take a lesson. I'm like, <laughs> it's not gonna take. I need to take golf lessons, but I. I I, I'm, I'm a hustler on the court, I'll, and I'll live with the circumstances anyway. All right. We always like to end on a little song, and I this is a kind of a grocery store song. <laughs> you, you hear it, and you want to sing to it, and we, we grew up with it. And I don't know. I just thought, let's sing this little ditty. So you ready? Rupert Holmes, Escape. Ready to roll. Okay. Ready to roll. Okay. Okay, we're going to do this little Rupert Holmes escape, <laughs> a.k.a. the Pina Colada song. And then we're going to we're going to ask Donna all about the psychoanalysis of this one. <laughs> Anyways, if you've ever been in a grocery store, you have heard this song and it is a it's a peach. Okay, here we go. Ready? Is it is it ringing a bell? <laughs> yeah, this is when I'm on aisle five. I know, right? I okay. don't know about the first line, though. I was tired of my lady. I know. I don't like how this one starts. That lady. We've been together too long. Like a worn-out recording of a favorite song. So while she lay there sleeping, that would be like I read the on paper the in bed. Yeah. <laughs> and in the personal columns, there was a letter I read. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, 
If you have half a brain. Oh, yeah, we do. If, if you, you like making love at midnight. In the dunes of the Cape. I'm the love that you look for. Write to me and escape. All right. We crushed that. <laughs> Did we not crush that? This is amazing. By the way, I have to tell you, when I first heard the name of your podcast. She uh-huh. said 10 times 5. I thought you guys were just as you now are, as I see, smoking hot. Oh, really? She's a 10. She's a 10. She's a 10. She's living her best 10 so, life. Yeah, that, that living was my life first to the thought. Yeah. Of that yeah. So. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for sharing so much wisdom. Oh my gosh, you're yeah, I learned a lot today. Thank so yeah. thank you. Appreciate being here. Yeah, you want to go get a pina colada? <laughs> Which I love pina yeah. coladas. All right, thank you, listeners. Cheers. Bye. Bye bye. Hey, gang, it's holiday season, and many of us are looking to both give back and pay it forward. As such, She's a 10 times 5 is proud to be partnering with another local San Diegan, Irene Ekdahl, who is a blossoming author and also a former San Diego foster youth. Irene is doing a great job with partnering and collaborating with foster youth and those children within the system. Her gratitude journal, Day and Night, is one in which foster youth can actually use and implement to help them feel positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with their adversity, and build strong relationships. So this is an opportunity, if you want to give back to those children, you can actually purchase an individual journal, or you can purchase a bulk charitable order, and Irene will deliver the journals to thousands of San Diego foster youth. So this is the call to action. If you want to participate and you want to give back to these kids, you can find these journals on Amazon, and we will also have the link in our bio on the She's a 10 times 5 Instagram account. All right, gang, let's do this. Follow us on Instagram at She's a 10 times 5. Click on the link in our bio to listen. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe.